Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We are giving away two front row tickets mm-hmm. to the Carrie Job concert for Outreach Ministries this Saturday night at Willow Creek Barrington. All you have to do is go on our socials at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Mention the concert and you'll be entered to win. You do not want to miss that. Um, Brian. I'm ready. Oh, we, you know, earlier we were joined by Stephen Barr, who is living my dream life, <laughs> leading the Disney church, yes. uh, cast member church out there, Disney World and Disneyland Paris. And that's one that's one incredible story of what God is doing on the, I don't even know if you call it the opposite side, but the other you reality. You want to go from of, the happy, the happiness the of Disney World to, to the reality the of, yeah, yeah, oh man, so so devastating the the Ralph Yarl shooting in Kansas City. Now you told me he was out of the hospital. Yes, so praise Jesus for that. I uh, wanted to share a lament that my friend Ashley Island posted. Um, but then you were also telling me about this other story that somehow I missed. I, I don't. This is why it's so heavy because. Okay, may we never grow numb to mass shootings, right? Like yeah. what's going on? Yeah. But these are different. The the Ralph Yarl one, right? A sixteen year old was sent by his parents or a relative to go pick up his brother or maybe multiple siblings, just went to the wrong house, Mm. went up and rang the doorbell. uh, And the 84-year-old owner of the house didn't even say a word, just said, oh, he must be trying to rob me, shot him. Shot him. Then you read just over the weekend on Saturday, a 20-year-old girl named Kaylin Gillis. Uh, she, along with four other uh, in upstate New York, if you've ever been upstate New York, you can just get lost, like right long dirt roads, it's yeah. dark. They went down the wrong driveway, but they immediately, they didn't get out of their car. They immediately realized it and were going and were turning around. 65 year old guy by the name of Kevin Monahan came out to, onto his porch, didn't say anything to them, and shot twice at the car hitting this 20-year-old girl who subsequently died from her gunshot wound. Like, I I was read both these stories. Mm. Uh, like, side by side. Yeah, almost. like, the Ralph Yar one certainly seems to have a racial element Absolutely to it. Absolutely does racism, the, yeah. The Kaylin Willis does not. Right. Like, this, is a, uh, this was a, was a, white a girl, young white correct? girl, 20-year-old white girl, shot by a white guy. And you're just like... There's no box to put in these. Like, is it guns? I think there. I think this speaks to the culture of. It's like this stew, right? It's this stew of this culture of fear. This culture of uh, everything's going like bad. You add guns to it. Like, I don't understand. I know these two people are older, but I don't think that's an excuse yeah, at all, right? Right, right. To that, that both of them. The uh, the common thread here is that neither of them talked to their victim. Neither of them. Neither of them said, what are you doing here? How can I help you? I mean, Ralph Yarl, the guy said, now he's 84, so who knows? Maybe his hearing's down. But Mm-mm. but like the Ralph Yarl story, when you read it, the kid rang the doorbell. Like, why would you think he's breaking into your house that he and rang the doorbell? the doorbell? The Kaylin Gillis one, 
They're just turning around. Like, we've all gotten lost and turned around in people's driveways. All the time. I mean, I actually live in the middle of my street, which is funny. So, our house, if I'm at home for the day, it probably happens three times uh, where someone pulls into my driveway and turns around. Like, that is not abnormal behavior. Yeah. What is abnormal is taking a gun and killing someone. It is so weird. And I get upstate New York where you're probably up there very secluded. This, But none of it is – I don't understand. And, it, you know, you just hear these stories yeah. more and more and more where the first reaction is to shoot or to – Attack, yeah, or violence. To, like I don't understand that. It would be different if you told me these five kids pulled. I still, you know, I'm not a gun person, so I'd still have a hard time with it. But if you told me Ralph Yarrow was trying to get in the door, or Kaylin right. Gillis and her friends got out and Smashed were like, windows. were like being aggressive. Yeah, none of that is true. Right. Ralph Yarrow was like just rang the wrong doorbell, right. and thankfully, like we said, he's alive oh, and out of the hospital. But Kaylin Gillis is not, and. It appears that all that happened is that they they went down the wrong long driveway and recognized it and literally never got out of the car. We're turning around. And so it just makes me go like you and I keep highlighting these things going. What in the world what is, is that? Where on? do we live? Like, well, what the, is yeah, going and the on? The question is like this combo of rage and guns. Not good. It's also got to be fear based like somehow these people are their fear is being fed and i don't know if it's political pundits i don't know if it's the news i don't know if it's their neighbors i don't know what it is but their fear is being fed in such a way that they're afraid of strangers neighbors and just that that initial reaction to violence and like defense i it is beyond Comprehension, And yeah. I'm with you. I do, I do not know what's going on. I'm just reading the Kaylin Gillis story. They said the guy wouldn't even talk to the police, said no one is believed to have exited the car, and there was no interaction between Monaghan and anyone in the vehicle before shots were fired. There was clearly no threat from anyone in the vehicle. There was no reason for him to feel threatened. And so, and who knows, the The guy might be crazy, but they might have just gone down the wrong one. But the fact that you're reading these, all shootings are terrible, but sometimes like a school shooting or something like that, they are so horrific, but you can put them in a box, right? Like that's a, that's a a deranged person person with a big gun doing evil, evil things. Yeah. This feels like a box that we didn't have. Mm. The... Oh, I'm I'm scared of somebody on my on my porch or in my driveway. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start shooting. I don't. I never really heard this, and now to have two in one weekend, you're just like, I don't know what is it. I think you touched on it. I think there's a there's a culture of fear. Yeah, absolutely. There's a uh, we have you know for better for not not better for worse you know we've we've treated we we've taught each other to to look at everybody not just skeptically but as a threat yeah with fear mm-hmm. wow there's a young guy wow there's a car full of young people they must be coming to uh do me harm right. and doesn't make sense but you're seeing it more and more that makes you go gosh this feels like the next level of problems. Yeah, like there's our- something systemic happening, and how do we get to the bottom of it? And also, like, come Lord Jesus. Yeah. This is, like, getting wild and scary. It's crazy. Let me read you. Ashley Island wrote a lament on her Instagram page. She's an author. She's a friend of mine. She's actually been on the show before, I think. She wrote a lament for uh, Ralph Yarl. Again, we're so thankful that he's alive. But she said this, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. 
Not a neighbor you don't know or didn't expect. It does no wrong to a neighbor who looks like they're lost. A neighbor who stumbled up the porch to the wrong door who didn't consider the cost of one ring. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Not a neighbor blessed with melanin and black skin who's humming the clarinet line on his lips as he's hoping to collect his kin. It does no wrong to a neighbor. Unless you love something else more than the love of neighbor. Then love is not the fulfilling of the law. Feeding your fear like a tiger you've tried to tame like a house cat. Holding your handgun like it puts the armor of God to shame. Growing your disgust of the other like it's a new breed of air plant that can't thrive really anywhere. These are the things that kick love out of her chair, crippling her at her knees, tying her hands behind her back so she can't move. Not even you. We don't know your name, but we pray your soul is spared. We pray that light finds you and snatches you from our desires for merciless, loveless justice. We pray you meet the mercy that we just sang about on Sunday, that it's better than what we want for you in this very hour as we cry and call and write. We pray for the two siblings Ralph was trying to find, that they'd be found in the loving arms of safe, good, healing neighbors, not just this, but every time. We pray for his mama. We pray for his mama. We pray for his and this black mama and mamas of black boys who hold black joy loosely like change in their pocket as they stand on someone's doorstep trying not to look like a threat. And we call, we write, we do justice, love mercy, walk humbly to our own front doors as if love really could do no wrong to a neighbor. May we be the neighbors he should have met. Mm. Oh, powerful word there from yeah. Ashley Island. It's so, And I know we're running over time, but yeah. like... We, we talk all the time in churches about loving your neighbor, Jesus's call. And like, it's just wild to me that are we getting to the point as a culture where loving your neighbor is just not harming them? I mean. And like, because we've always said, oh, go above and beyond and reach out. But like the, the, the bar is lowering so much here that as, as the church, we need to clearly clear that bar and be people uh, who are bringing a different yes. perspective yeah. into our culture yeah. right now. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, we're joined by Dr. Ingrid Scott to talk about the current debate around the abortion pill. She's a board certified OBGYN. She's delivered more than 5,000 babies Ooh. in Texas, is part of an institute called the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Uh, recently, some of their research was brought up uh, from pro-life judges. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation you're not going to want to miss. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We are thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Ingrid Skop. She's the Vice President and Director of Medical Affairs at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. We want to talk with, her, talk with her about the state of abortion, specifically the abortion pill in America today. Dr. Lozier, excuse me, not Dr. Lozier, Dr. Scott, thanks for being here with us today. <laughs> Thank you for this opportunity. Glad to be here. Okay, so big picture, Dr. Scott, talk to us about what's going on right now in relation to abortion and specifically the abortion pill in our country. I think there's a lot that the American public does not understand because they're not told. Um, one thing I've discovered is some people don't even know the difference between emergency contraception and 
chemical abortion. Emergency contraception is an attempt to prevent fertilization after unprotected intercourse, but chemical abortion is two drugs. Mifepristone is tightly regulated um, by the FDA, or has been, <laughs> and um, it blocks progesterone receptors, so it cuts off the hormonal support and causes the embryo or the fetus to die. It's followed um, about 24 to 48 hours later by mesoprostol that essentially induces labor. It mm -hmm. causes contractions to expel the tissue. Um, it doesn't always work. We can talk about the details of that, but approximately one out of 20 women will fail to evacuate all the tissue. Um, sometimes the baby continues to live, wow. and these women often require surgery in emergent circumstances. Mm. And Dr. Scott, let's talk more about that because, you know... To the non-medical mind, you think the pill takes care of everything, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of clean and whatever else it might be. But, but you're telling us it's a lot more complicated than that. Tell us uh, maybe from your own experience uh, as a doctor and just what we need to know about how it's just not so clean. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look online or you look at uh, pro-abortion media, you'll see that they'll say, this is so safe. It's safer than Tylenol. It's safer than mm -hmm. Viagra, um, penicillin. But the reality is, um, right now, there is no mandatory complication reporting in our country. And so we really don't know how safe it is. Even when we, the FDA used to require complication reporting, they didn't enforce it. And when we go back and look at the data, it's very poor quality. And it's clear that the abortion industry just reported complications if they felt like it. Mm. Um, so women are being told, oh, you know, this is safe. This is natural. You can have your abortion in the company of your own home. And of course, it's a terrible experience. Uh, they bleed a lot. They have 40% call the pain severe. Mm. Many women will actually see their child in the toilet at 10 weeks gestation. Oh, he's about the size and uh, appearance of a gummy bear. You can clearly see his facial structures, his arms, his mm. legs. So no one tells the women this. Mm. Um, so when they have a complication, they feel betrayed. You know, they told me it was safer than Tylenol. I take Tylenol all of the time. What's going on? And so as a result, many times they do not go back to the abortion provider. They go to other doctors. So I'm an obstetrician practicing in Texas, and I've seen many women over the years that have come to my office or sometimes in emergent situations, they're coming to the emergency room. And at that time, we're having to drop everything that we're doing, care of other patients, clear the operating room so we can take these women and do emergent surgery on mm. them. So this is, not only is this bad for women, it's bad for medical care in general because yeah. the women are being abandoned to the emergency room system. Um, the studies the FDA has relied upon are primarily by abortion industry researchers. They tell about the complications they know about, mm. but they always have so many women lost to follow-up. Those are the women that are likely to have had complications mm. go and gone elsewhere and not returned to the abortionist wow. to tell them about it. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad you're talking about this. Dr. Ingrid Scott is the Vice President and Director of Medical Affairs, Charlotte Lozier Institute. The Lozier's Institute research was cited, I think it was at least half a dozen times in the pro-life judge's ruling last Friday. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our mission is science and statistics um, to um, uh, related to life issues. And like I said, with, with really no complication reporting mandatory, with the issue of abortion being so politicized in our country, the average American does not understand how poor our data is and also how common complications are. The best way to do a study is called records linkage. So you know all of the abortions that have been paid for, and then you can look at and see all the complications that have occurred afterwards. Well, since most abortions in our country are paid for privately, you can't make that linkage. That's what part of the data problems. But we um, did um, obtain data. There are 17 states that will allow their state Medicaid to pay for elective abortions. So we obtained that data. We did a records linkage study. And so we were able to document several things. One is that about one out of 20 women, again, shows up to an emergency room with an abortion-related complication within a month um, after a chemical abortion. About 2% of those who have surgical abortions also have complications and go to emergency rooms. But study after study tells us these chemical abortions are more complicated, approximately four times more complicated. Also, we documented that 60% of the time, these known complications of abortion were miscoded as having been due to a miscarriage. So again, it just shows whether the women aren't telling. Um, In some circumstances, the the abortion providers are telling them they don't need to tell if they go to an emergency room, that the doctors can't tell the difference. But our data also showed that those women who were miscoded, where the doctors didn't know what was going on, they were treated differently, and they didn't receive the care they needed until an average of three emergency room visits later. Mm. Um, Similarly, we can look at studies in Scandinavian countries. Those studies show us that even with early chemical abortions, about one out of five women has some sort of a complication, and um, about 6% of women in the first seven weeks and 38% of women, if they accidentally take chemical abortion pills in the second trimester, require surgery. Wow. And it fails very, very quick, uh, frequently, especially as the gestational age increases. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know that there's conflicting things going on in the courts right now. Do you I know you're a doctor, not a lawyer, but do you guys have any sense as to what's next in the legal battle around the abortion pills? Yeah, I mean, this is of course, I'm following it closely. And um, really, what is going on in the court battle in general is that Organizations of doctors have asked the court to make sure that the FDA does its job. Again, because of political reasons, the FDA, um, it it approved chemical abortion under a um, misleading category, one that is for drugs that are treating life-threatening conditions for which there is no other treatment. Well, pregnancy is almost never a life-threatening condition. And in the 1990s, before these pills were approved, there were a million to a million and a half surgical abortions every year. So there was another option available. Um, They didn't perform studies in pediatric population. Um, Over the years, um, they have removed and loosened restrictions. Currently, using the COVID pandemic as an excuse, the FDA has removed all in-person supervision. Mm. That means a woman does not need to have an ultrasound, um, which can detect an ectopic pregnancy, which could kill her. Um, And of course, it'll tell us if our gestational age is correct, how likely she is to have a failure. They don't perform labs. So we don't 
Mm. RH negative women who need a Rogam shot to prevent future pregnancy complications. And equally importantly, it doesn't even verify who is getting the pills. Is it a woman who wants an abortion or is it a sex trafficker? Is it an incestuous abuser or a coercive boyfriend? We don't know because these pills are just essentially being allowed without any medical supervision. So what we're seeing in the courts is a back and forth. Um, Judge Kaczmarek said, it never should have been approved. Again, like I said, it was in a, a weird category that doesn't really apply. Um, the Fifth Circuit said, well, at least let's back up to the 2016 changes, which is where they no longer required a complication report unless the woman died. Hmm. They extended its use to a higher gestational age. They allowed it to be prescribed by non-physicians. Hmm. Well, only a physician has the surgical skills. Sure to take care of those complications. So that has happened. Now the Supreme Court is going to weigh in. Um, I feel certain that when the data is out there, we're going to be back in this way up. You know, I don't know if mifepristone will be taken off the market, but at the very least, if we go back to where doctors prescribe it and we care about complications um, and we do it at lower gestational ages where it's a little safer, at the very least, that will be an improvement for women. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's that's my prediction, but it's of course uh, going back and forth rapidly. That's right. Yeah, lots to be praying about and and appreciate your work. We're definitely cheering you on, Dr. Ingrid Scott is the vice president and director of medical affairs at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. She's a board certified OBGYN who has delivered more than five thousand babies in Texas. I love that, Dr. Ingrid. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for this opportunity to help educate your mm-hmm. listeners. Aubrey, it's been crazy, and it's total whiplash. I feel like we've gotten the entire Chicago springtime experience in the last 72 hours. Because <laughs> it is I was so like, wild. Saturday and Sunday, my allergies were going crazy. And Same. then Monday morning, it, it was freezing and snowing. And you're like, <laughs> I know. And my precious now today, little... it's kind of in between. Like, I don't know. Nobody knows what to make of it right now. My precious daffodils and tulips started popping up, and now they're just going to be dead. Like, it's so terrible. I, this is so Chicago, though. And I do, I do have to say, Last week you said, is there going to be another snow? And I emphatically said yes. And you were like, no, there's no way. Brian, I just want to remind Brian. some actual snow. Brian, I just want to remind you, like, this is Chicago. There is always another snow. Hopefully we're on the upswing, or is this like, this is, I don't know. We're back on the upswing, but we were on the upswing last week. Uh, I know. It was amazing last week. Well, one day. One day. We're with you, whether your air conditioning is on or your heat is on, <laughs> whether you are grilling or you are logs in the fireplace, you are with us and we're glad that you are here. Uh, yeah, if you've missed any of the shows this week uh, coming up or the stuff we've done already, let me encourage you to go get the podcast wherever it is to get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. Aubrey, coming up a little bit later this hour. It is like one of your favorite people, Stephen Barr. I know. I love he, him. The founder of Cast Member Church. They start basically kind of, it's kind of like a small group driven church, right? There's no like Sunday morning gathering because of yeah. how those people work. Yeah. It's just for cast members of Disney. And he yep. has recently branched out to Disneyland Paris. Unbelievable. Like, it is. I cannot wait to hear like what God is up to. And yeah, apparently the guy splits his time between Disneyland Paris and Disney World Orlando. So 
Yep. I yep. I am not going to lie. I have to confess my sin of envy and jealousy to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, we are really just are bringing him back on for Aubrey is hoping to get a speaking uh, invitation. Yeah. Yes, Maybe free tickets to the park. <laughs> something, something. <laughs> right, uh, hire me. Hire me, Stephen. You will do it. So we're excited to have Stephen Barr on with us in about 15 minutes or so. We hope that you'll stay with us. Uh, but before that, Aubrey, I wanted to highlight a like a titan a hugely influential figure specifically in the world of missions uh his name he just passed away at the age of i think like 83 or so his name okay george verwer mm. v-e-r-w-e-r uh george verwer uh he is everything about george verwer that's a hard name to say Ver- verwer Everything about George Verwer, he was all about missions. He started Operation Mobilization. Mm. Uh, he, I heard him speak at Urbana when I went to Urbana, the missions conference. He also spoke at Wheaton College when I was there. Wow. Uh, George Verwer was known for something very specific. He was a fiery speaker, a mm. fire. And everything about his speaking was like trying to mobilize people to go into missions, wow. particularly overseas missions. But he also wow. talked about missions in your neighborhood and stuff like that as well. Uh, what he was known for was he would often have a prop when speaking, and that prop was a giant inflatable globe. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think George Verwer was the first ever person I heard explain the 1040 window. Do you remember the oh, 1040 yes. window? Oh, yes. Right. Has to, like, it's a box. Like, it's a mm-hmm. square of la- latitude and longitude where, like, 90% of all the unreached people in the world are within Live, the 1040 right? window. Yeah, yeah. And I remember hearing that and never knowing what the 1040 window was. Mm. But George Verwer was known for by a lot of people. But let's be honest, a lot of people out there have probably actually never heard of George Verwer, which is why I wanted to hold him up yeah. a little bit. But there was something about this man, sing- like obviously his passion was for Jesus, but there was something about his singular passion to mobilize people yeah. for missions that I always found really impressive. Yeah, it, and and... I mean, his passion for mobilizing the church for missions is incredible. And also what you just mentioned, it's so I feel like it's so rare in the day and age we live in to find somebody with this type of influence and even Mm -hmm. this type of like specific calling not to be branding himself or quote unquote Christian celebrity for this thing. Like, I feel like when people get a niche, they begin building a whole platform around it um, or when they have this level of influence. And so I love celebrating guys like George Verwer because whether or not you've heard of him, he was so influential, like godly influence in the life of the church around the world. And I heard that um, Verwer, you know, we talk about missiology, which is like Mm -hmm. the kind of the study of God's mission around the world. And apparently he coined his term messiology Uh that he talked about how Christians should always try to avoid making messes because some mistakes could be spiritually devastating, but those who put their faith in Jesus shouldn't forget that God saves sinners and that we, you know, we are sinners. And I would think that attitude would be really helpful 
working in missions too. You know, Kevin and I lived in Zambia for a year doing missions work and that's not long-term, that's short-term, but it's a mess. I mean, it is not what people think it is. Every day is messy and confusing and you're like, okay, Lord, what are you doing? And of course, long-term missions have tons of those stories, that's right. but to know that God is at work in the mess, I think that's a good, a good part of Verwer's legacy as well. His story, I'm reading from his obituary at Christianity Today, he got arrested as like a teenager. He was a total like hooligan, right? Like that was yeah. part of his story. Yeah. Uh, news of the incident of his arrest, he broke into someone's house, prompted a local Christian woman named Dorothea Clapp to start praying for Verwer that awesome. he would find faith in Jesus. As Verwer later described it, she put him on her, quote, Holy Spirit hit list. <laughs> He mailed him the Gospel of John. Uh, it didn't immediately have an impact, but three years later, he felt compelled to go to a Billy Graham crusade where he found Christ and kind of said, I'm going to, uh, like, give my life to, to missions and to wow. be used by God to do this. It's just unbelievable. I would encourage mm. people to go over to Christianity today uh, because... It's this story of God using him. Operation mobilization is such an enormous deal. Yeah. Uh, and he just tried crazy things, but there's pictures of him speaking. It's all just wild. So he passed away. Uh, Aubrey, in, in kind of appreciation of his life, how do we speak of missions now? Because we do speak of missions, your neighborhood, um, mm. you know, your, the people we talk about being everyday missionaries, wherever God has placed you. But there's also a call for some to overseas mission. So how do yeah. you like to speak about missions? Yeah, I mean, it is sometimes I, I feel like it's worth it's always worth saying, yes, like God has called you to love your neighbors and be a quote unquote missionary in your neighborhood. But that can sound, I think, sometimes um uh, belittling of people who actually like move family and uproot their whole community or like leave everything behind to go serve overseas in third world countries or in this 1040 window or just places that are really, really difficult. And so I feel like when we talk about missions, we need to honor those who actually go, those who leave something behind and go at a different level. It's different than when we're talking about loving our neighbors. Like there is a special emphasis where God calls people around the globe. And then I think, you know, where I love that I feel like missions has changed is there's been some critique about missions that it was sort of like this colonial thing. You're going in trying to make people like you. But I do feel like experts in missions and those who've been on the ground have done such a good job of contextualizing the work and contextualizing their gospel and loving people right where they are. And I do think for all Christians, there should be a call to support global missions, Agreed. to support God's work around the world, or if God calls you to say yes to that call to go. There you go. Uh I'll close with this because this is such a picture of George Verwer. If you ever heard him speak, even at some of his later years, it says he would bring out a, his giant inflatable globe, put on his trademark globe jacket Come on. and ask the college age kids again and again, a version of the question he asked his college friend when he was just 18. Well, are you ready to go? That wow. was basically and he would extol uh, mission. So I would encourage you go to Christianity Today and check out this uh, uh, obituary for George Verwer. And uh, yeah, a wife, uh, a life well lived and worthy of being honored. Coming up next, Aubrey couldn't be more excited as we're joined by Stephen Barr, founding leader, founding pastor of Cast Member Church. We're going to talk to Stephen Barr next year on the Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, you've been looking forward to this. So excited. Uh, 
bringing back on onto our show our friend Stephen Barr, founding uh, leader of Cast Member Church. It's basically we've had this story before. Stephen started a, a very unique type of church at Aubrey's Happy Place at Disney World in Orlando, Florida, <laughs> right. and now they're branching out and doing more stuff. So that we're excited to hear about. Stephen, how are you doing today, Fred? I'm great, Brian. It's wonderful to be back again. Yeah, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, and so let's pick up where we last left off, right? Uh, you were doing stuff in Orlando, and then we caught wind that you began doing some stuff at uh, Disneyland in Paris. So we were mm-hmm. like, we got mm-hmm. to hear about this. Tell us what's going on in Paris with you. Well, thanks for asking. Um, the vision for Cast Member Church has always been to have a a church presence at every Disney park location around the world. So that would include Orlando, Mm -hmm. Anaheim, Paris, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. And so uh, about a a couple of years ago, we started feeling like um, the Lord was opening up possibilities for Paris. And uh, it was one of those things where you just have to take the, you have to take the step because uh, um, you're moving into a culture that's completely different. The Disney culture is the same, but uh, we've started our endeavors there and uh, it's been surprised. It's been going surprisingly well. Hmm. Hmm. So Stephen, as much as you can, like, what does that look like to see God beginning to open doors? And then you take that step. Like again, for people who don't know, your church is a little bit unusual because you don't have Sunday morning services (laughs) and it's built specifically Mm -mm. around Disney cast member culture. So kind of give us a big picture of what it looks like right now in Disneyland Paris and maybe even Orlando as well. Well, that's a great that's a a great place to start simply because you can't go into Paris and just say you're going to plant a church. Um, Paris is uh, yeah. France is pretty much uh, a um, a secular culture, post Christian culture. Uh, church uh, Christianity is not even on the radar for people. Spirituality really is even not there. It's just a very I describe it as. Um, looking at a black and white photograph of a stained glass window. Uh, you look at the picture and you mm. go, well, you know, what's wrong with this picture? Well, you see the light shining through the window, but there's no life. There's no life. And so uh, even uh, in the area that we're focusing on at Disneyland Paris, there's only one church already there and they have 100 people. And that is a big church for, for France. So, um, uh, wow. so we have gone in and you can't come in and say, Hey, we're, we're, we're planting a church and people, you, you no one's going to get excited about that. They're going to be, they're going to be skeptical. Yeah. They're going to be suspicious. So we started something actually here in Orlando called God conversations. And all that is, is inviting people to sit around the table and talk about what we call the big questions of life. And it's very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we start with a question like, I'm trying to think what we did last week. Oh, um, what does it take for you to trust someone completely? And that starts hmm. a conversation around the table. And then at the, towards the end of that two hours or so, uh, the, we'll bring in a scripture that says, well, here's what the Bible says about trust. And you just wow. leave it there. You, you get people feeling comfortable to share deeper things and you have to build trust that way. So hmm. we started that in Orlando and it has probably been the most fruitful thing we've done. So that is the first thing we're starting in, in Paris is simply getting people around the table and talking about 
the things that they aren't used to talking about without feeling judged or, or corrected or criticized and simply getting them to a place where they can say, yeah, I have a hard time trusting. I have a real hard time trusting people or I trust because of this Mm. or, and, and it's, it's a beautiful thing and it takes, it's going to take a lot of time to be honest with you, but that's, that's the joy of the journey. And so we're, we don't even say we're planting a church cast member church really isn't even something that we would ever lead with. We would just, we're just simply starting with building relationships with people. And, And you know what? It's the God conversations is, has been an open door. So that's, we're excited about that. So we're, we're going to multiply that here in Orlando, awesome. uh, as well. My, my dream, uh, I haven't said this out loud, uh, to many people, but my dream is to have a God conversations, uh, that takes place seven nights a week at the nearest Starbucks or coffee house to where cast members live so that any given evening you wow. can find a table and, and, and connect with people and talk about deeper things. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Wow. So what is the, I know it's very new, and I'm very curious, a place like Paris mm-hmm. that you say is so kind of closed off, what has even the reaction been amongst cast members? Are you getting some traction as you start these conversations? I would say, I wouldn't say traction. Um, that I would say interest, curiosity. Um, I, and I'm, I love that. Uh, in fact, I thrive on people who are skeptical and suspicious. I, I love being with people like that because mm-hmm. it, gives, it gives us an opportunity to earn their trust, to slowly uh, yeah. deconstruct yeah. their skepticism and their suspicions and give Jesus uh, the credibility that he's, he always deserves, but kind of taking away all of their misconceptions yeah. of what church or what even, even who Jesus is. So it's, it's actually a, mm, I love uh, that. it's like, it's like building Legos, you know, you just kind of put one block on another, on another, and, uh, and you have to be patient, trust the process, trust that the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing and, uh, follow his lead. Yeah. And Stephen, for people who may not be familiar with your story, can you take us back to kind of the birth of cast member church? Like how did God even move in you to, to begin this thing? <laughs> well, um, I was a Disney a cast member, first of all, as any person who works for the Walt Disney Company, whether it's uh, the president uh, or the custodian uh, that, you know, it, everyone is a cast member because Walt Disney saw it as a show and every person plays a role in that show, which I think is is a wonderful way of looking at your how you are in a com- part of a community. Uh, I was a cast member in 1991, uh, way back in the dark ages. And, um, and so we, uh, 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 I did that for one year and then stepped away. But once you work for Disney, you have something that we call mouse blood and it, it changes the way you look at life. You're, you're more extroverted. You, you tend to, uh, pixie dust seems to follow you around and everything has, um, (laughs) I've, I've done my whole life with Disney principles in the back of my mind, even as a church planter. Uh, when I started in San Antonio, Texas, I was, people would say, you think Disney all the time. That's, that's what, you know, that's, uh, that's just how your mind works. And one day, one of my leaders said, why aren't you planting a church at Disney? 
And it just it just blew my huh. mind. Wow, oh, what gosh. what about the possibility of that? And so uh, it took about a year to really pray through that, ponder it, and most importantly, convince my wife. And um, and so we uh, <laughs> uh, we ended up at. Uh, at, at Walt Disney World, we broke every church planting rule in the book, every single one. We had no team. We had no money. We had, and I would do it all again the same way, <laughs> to be honest with you, because we were yeah. totally dependent yeah. on God. And we built relationships. We, we literally just started connecting with people. And over the last 11 years, which mm-hmm. ca- that's how old cast member church is, our church is 95% uh, consistent. 95% of our church is are people who had no connection with the Bible or Jesus in the past. Um, it's, wow. We're now about wow. 1,600, 1,600 cast members scattered across the world on six continents now. And um, and so it's more of a movement than Amazing. a physical church, uh, uh, which it, yeah. it, that's the only way it would work. And so uh, uh, we just yeah. look back on that's it right. and go, uh, it was it was God's faithfulness. Uh, we we would just fail forward every step we take. We'd make a mistake and then figure something out. We'd make yeah. a st- and and now it's just something that I can't even. Um, it's just hard for me to fathom every day. What a joy it is to wake up and be able to serve people uh, all around the world and that are on a journey that they had never planned on being a part of. Amazing. That's awesome. Well, Stephen, I, I will tell you. My co-host thinks she has mouse blood, so <laughs> I think that is one thing with her. Uh, it's accurate. We, we've kept you long. Let me ask you. You have to just answer this. You can't explain it. We always ask you, when we've had you in oh, the past, right. we said you have to choose one park. Okay. We said you've had to choose one ride, right? So here's the question for today. Uh, you can only watch <gasps> one animated Disney movie the rest of your Whoa. life. You've got to choose one. It's got to be animated. Which one are you choosing? Oh my goodness! Uh, you know it's so funny. I'm not a fan of the. I'm not a fan of the. I, I can tell you what Disney movie I would choose, uh, and that would be um, uh, Pollyanna. Okay. Pollyanna. Pollyanna. Oh yeah, that's such a good one. Okay. Okay. I love that. Well, we are so fun. Classic. We love having Stephen Barr on from past <laughs> member church. That's great. Stephen is, uh, has become a real friend of mm-hmm. the show, and, uh, and we love talking Disney, especially Aubrey does. Stephen, this is a ton of fun. We love catching up with you. We'll do it again soon. Have a great day. My pleasure. You as well. Hey, we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.